Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is an award-winning B2B SaaS-focused marketer, founder, blogger, and educator. With over 15 years experience of B2B and B2C leadership, Adam has worked for some of the biggest and best brands in their respective industries. In his spare time, Adam runs LDN Life, an award-winning blog about London. Please welcome Adam Clark, head of marketing at Zest to the show. Adam, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? I am. But uh, I'm going to keep that and just that's going to be my uh, my LinkedIn introduction much better than I could possibly do. (laughs) Fantastic. Embarrassed now. uh, (laughs) No, no, no embarrassed. You know, we can always uh, there's like that new feature on LinkedIn. I don't know if you've seen it where you can record how to say your name. So I'm happy to have you borrow that intro. I think it was. That's what I was thinking. Totally over that, you know. Maybe use some AI, so you know, superimpose my face over the top. But but you you made me sound wonderful. Thank you for inviting me today. Absolutely. So listen, you have quite the background, and I'm going to just jump right in uh, because I think your background is quite interesting. I know you have you and I have known each other for quite some some time. Uh, you've known Octopost for even longer and you've known our CEO, I think for even longer. Uh, so, right. So the, the connection just keeps getting greater and greater, but could you give us a brief look into your professional journey and perhaps how you actually found yourself leading the marketing team at Zest? Yeah. I mean, I could probably spend the entire, um, um, session talking about my past, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll focus mainly on when I moved to London uh, about 12 years ago for love. Uh, the love bit didn't work out, but I did fall in love with London. And I fell in love with the opportunities that London gave me to uh, expand and try my craft in in, in, in different industries. Um, when I first moved to London, I was lucky enough to get a job at a... Uh, South African wine restaurant, very posh, um, lots of wine dinners, um, sat next to uh, the brand manager for Louis Rodera uh, and drank Cristal the day before I started. It was all very, you know, sort of um, boy from uh, North North England. Um, it was I was a bit out of my comfort zone, let's say. Um, but we started to do some really interesting things on social media. Um, I was live posting about wine dinners and events and things that we were doing, um, which kind of involved running up and down stairs and putting putting a memory card into the computer upstairs and going up and down stairs and trying to think as I'm going up and down stairs what I'm actually going to post at that point. And <clears throat> but uh, Jerry, the the owner of the the business, cared more about the A board outside because he was like, that gets more traffic than your 
you know, your bloody uh, social media posts. And he was right, to be fair, you know, very busy part of London. Uh, but my handwriting was terrible. So I had to sort of build relationships internally and, you know, bribe people essentially to, 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 to sort the A boards out and the, the chalkboards internally. And that really kind of made omni-channel marketing sort of come to like click in my head that it wasn't just about what I wanted to do, what I thought was exciting and interesting. Actually, there were so many different components to uh, the omni-channel journey, including a chalkboard outside a restaurant. Eventually, we upscaled and I got posters printed and we rotated the posters. Uh, so I got, I found a, a, an easier way around it in the end. Um, but as it happens, I um, was kind of spotted by uh, some people from EDF Energy um, and they were uh, looking for someone to come in, part of the central brand team, to work on London 2012, the Olympics. And little Zing, Zingy, the little dancing robot, kind of some people refer to him as the orange poo. Um, you might not have come across him, but it was a big thing over here, sort of 10, year, 10 years ago. Um, and that's why I've moved to London for those opportunities and those experiences. Uh, and it was amazing. The contract lasted 10 months and telephone number budgets, all sorts of things, using social media data and working with Weber Shamwick and, and various other agencies, MIT and stuff like that, to, to make these stories out of social media and social data 10 years ago. We were kind of cutting edge at the time. Um, and then I ended up at a place called Bunzel, and that was kind of really where my B2B journey kind of really began. Big FTSE 100, 7.8 billion turnover at the time. 20 businesses in the UK, but all over the world as well. And they were just starting to get the, get to grips with what social media might mean for them, for B2B, for social selling, for all these things. And that was you know, where I met your CEO and, and, and found out about Octopost because I took on the role of marketing technologist. I actually found um, a job description for Apple marketing technologist and just cop uh, found and replaced and changed it to Bunzel and I did a few amends and handed it to my director and went, this is what I want to be. And he was like, this is brilliant. Did you write this yourself? And I was like, I'm a really bad liar. Um, <laughs> so that became, it didn't become my job, but it became part of my job. So I was, you know, again, looking for best of breed and the new startups in the MarTech world. And there was probably only sort of two, 3,000 at that time, perhaps. Um, and now we're sort of hitting 10,000 uh, yeah. MarTechs, um, which, is, which is bonkers. I didn't think it would get much bigger then, and it's still, still growing. Um, three and a half years later, they kind of pushed me out the door. Um, I didn't want to leave, but I needed to leave for money and to progress my career and things. Uh, and I, I worked at Informer PLC and other big FTSE 100 events. Uh, I worked in particularly in business intelligence, technology, media and telecoms. Too much content, too much data, too many things, not enough time. The complete opposite situation that I'd found myself in previously talking about a B2B distribution company. Won a couple of awards um, and, and took on PR and, and various other amazing things, met some amazing people, learned some amazing things about um, the industry and enterprise and service providers and, and all that sort of stuff. But then got a hunger for fintech uh, because we had a unit looking at fintech. So I, I spent the next three and a half years after that in fintech. The pandemic happened. 
I had a midlife crisis, decided to become a management lecturer for a year, teaching customer experience strategy and global strategy and sustainability. And now we're at Zest. There we go. So, so in one quick sentence or elevator pitch, what's the value Zest brings to your customers? There's so much emphasis now on employee experience, having the, a, a good a, a employee experience. I think previously it was perhaps something that was kind of, oh, well, you know, it's just something we do on the side. But now, you know, the lack of um, readily available expertise, uh, trying to find points of difference within organizations. Companies need to up their game with regards to the benefits and the services and the recognition and engagement that they provide internally. And HR managers, deserve, directors, <clears throat> departments deserve that as much as the marketers do. So we provide those tools to allow certainly enterprises and, and large SMEs to be able to uh, do those things effectively and they've won quite a few awards over the years um and i've just my first job was to enter them into a couple more so uh, <laughs> search word no pressure um but yeah but they've got the culture as well they've got the things that i was looking for in my next role it wasn't just about money it was about what they wanted to achieve and the culture they had internally so so yeah they're empowering HR teams and employees to, to get the right benefits, flexible benefits. Listen, I think Zest is spot on and, and what you shared about today and the employee experience. It's something that I think brands, you know, maybe 10, even five years ago, we really didn't need to, as, as brands hiring, we didn't really need to share so much about who we are. We didn't necessarily need to give some grand experience because you know, the ball was in our court, if you will. And I think in today's, you know, whether you want to call it the great resignation or the great reshuffle, however you want to coin it, right? The the, the script has flipped. Um, and I think, right, the employee really uh, is leading the charge. And just like, as you mentioned earlier, right, Omnichannel, we need to be where our customers are. We almost also need to understand where our future and potential employees are, right? So, mm-hmm. so listen... I've had this topic on my mind for a while. And, and when I was thinking about this episode, you were the first person to come to mind because right, you and I have always talked marketing teams. And I think whenever you and I would sync up, whether it was like an Eloqua integration or social or whatever it may be, we always found ourselves speaking about internet marketing. And I think yep. over the last few years, you can, I, you know, we can agree, right? There have been so many more roles to fill in a marketing team, right? And I think many of them now require specialties. So you, you know, you mentioned you were like running up and down the stairs, and you know, uh, okay, content run up the stairs. Let me, you know, type something out. But today, it's like you almost have to be in a marketing team. You're almost like your own team. So if you're a social media strategist, you're the expert on social. If you're SEO, you're the expert, the technical expert on SEO, and you're, you know, your team member who does social. Uh, maybe knows a little bit about SEO, but you're the expert. Bring in, right, a few other roles, events, whatever it may be. So marketing is this interesting conglomerate of experts that are put together under one umbrella, but it's not like sales where, you know, you have a methodology and everybody can kind of consult on that methodology. Um, So I guess my question to you is in regards to a marketing team and with you over at Zest, it can be really hard to fill um, and especially right when it comes to staffing in, you know, whether it's startup, even mid-market, 
you can really have a team that are a jack of all trades, yet a master of none, right? So when you're thinking about building your team, how are you conquering, right? Or how is Zest approaching kind of this phenomenon we're seeing where there's a lot of inexperience or understaffed or perhaps not fully upskilled employees to fit with the era of, you know, MarTech and, and, you know, tech stacks that we need to be adverse in. How are you, how are you tackling this? It's <laughs> a great question, Jan. Um, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm genuinely not uh, in, in, in the sense that uh, I used to think of myself as a T-shaped marketer. Um, I kind of forced myself or got forced into be- becoming a generalist again, but with particular interest in, in certain areas. Uh, one thing I used to do at Expend was actually, we used to get a lot of paid internships, sort of people who just left university and, and, and various things. And one person, she won't mind me mentioning her, a girl called Stella, and she, she just got first in, um, in advertising. I wasn't looking for someone to take on advertising particularly, but she just blew my mind at her passion for advertising, the things that she created, uh, her approach to things, the energy that she brought. I was just bowled, bowled over and I was like, you can do that. I can do, I can focus on something else. Let's tap into that passion that you have, that thing that you, you, you've just spent three years of your life learning about. Let's tap into that. Let's do something amazing with that. Um, and I used to do that quite a lot with uh, over the years when I've sort of mentored people or had people working for me. What interests you? I'll take on some of the, the drudgery because I don't mind so much because I care more about the impact on, on, on the business. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm quite lucky that I've got a few agencies that, that okay. I've, I've inherited that are, are working really quite well and they know the business certainly better than me. So the whole idea of rushing in and, and, and sort of getting headcount I don't have to worry about too much now, right now. It is something I want to do um, and I'll tackle it at, at that time. I think once I get my feet under the table and we start to explore, I'm already starting to get a feeling that there's a huge uh, sort of um, hunger to do more content as, per, as people. Mm-hmm. I've, I've probably had 10 people in the organization saying, can you help me with LinkedIn? Can we do this? Can we do that? And of course, everyone comes to me, all the directors have come to me with their own list of things. And I'm starting to see, see these trends. And these trends are about how can we, you know, better um, promote ourselves within the organization to promote the organization, people buy from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm already seeing that sort of trend forming already. So uh, quite naturally, you know, perhaps I need someone in, in the content, the content side of things, to help with that that flywheel, because um, that building that momentum and keeping that momentum for the flywheel of right type of content is is hugely valuable. And I'll become a bottleneck, and the agencies will become a bottleneck because I've become a bottleneck. And we just need to be quite mindful and careful of that. So I kind of want to find a twenty year old me uh in in a, in a way, or twenty one year old me who just loves content, loves making things, loves exploring and trialing things and is, isn't afraid to, to make mistakes from time to time. That's, that's probably the sort of person as of right now in a very holistic uh, sense without having my strategy fully pinned down for, for the next six months. That's probably what, you know, 
uh, ideal world situation. But ask me again in a couple of months, and I might give you. A- <laughs> there, there you go. Anyone, anyone listening in, uh, you know, hear what yeah. Adam's looking for, and also, you know, we might have to send you a complimentary little staircase, maybe some step stools, just you know, for the sake of it, so that the next you has a little bit of you to just to kick uh-huh. off and go up and up and down some stairs. So. Yeah. Listen, yeah. I think, you know, something you mentioned, right, you're you're managing agencies and, you know, you don't want to become a bottleneck. I mean, these are all very common challenges, I would say, in a marketing organization. And I know in a marketing organization in 2020, there's a lot of challenges, curveballs, obstacles. So I have to ask, right, because you are on Radically Transparent, but what, what exactly would you say then is keeping you up at night professionally these days? Making sure I have a, a, a three sixty view of, of of what the customer is doing and the potential customer is doing, um, I think that that gap in my knowledge between the sector and the business and my marketing skills is it, that's what keeps me up at night because I absorb so much information and I'm trying to capture as much of it as possible to try and you can't hit the ground running. It, it hurts your knees for a start. But aside from that, um, there is always time that you need to, to to bed in. So you put yourself under your own pressure. And I've just found myself kind of doom scrolling uh, <laughs> articles at, at, at midnight about about the industry, about different areas and trying to understand and just, I, you know, I could probably read back to you the entire Zest website now. Um, uh, but... But yeah, those things sort of keep me up at night because I'm so used to like being the person, you know, pretty much the most generally knowledgeable person about a brand in the room because that's kind of my job. I'm the you know brand ambassador and the you know I'm I'm the marketer. I'm the person that can give you um, data points. At, at, you know, just like that. If if someone asked, it's like, yeah, where did that conversion come from? Yeah, there you go. That's where it came from. Good work. Yeah. Nice one. Uh, when's that event happening? Yeah. When's um, mental health, health awareness week? All those kind of things. It's like, yeah, you know, just be able to pull these dates and data points and all these things. But at the moment, I'm in this world where I'm like, I haven't had an email for half an hour. <laughs> is my internet working? <laughs> you know, is that new start of a new job thing where you're just like, is is everything okay and especially i'm very lucky that i've got a hybrid role so i'm in the office one or two days a week so i do get to see people but outside of that i'm kind of like is anyone there uh, and i know they are but you know you're just getting into that rhythm understanding the business and sort of that sort of thing so i put myself under pressure uh, and that's probably what keeps me up at night um but just the advances in technology I think of myself as very tech savvy, mm-hmm. always willing to try new things, um, dabble with uh, new ideas and technology. I have concerns about data privacy like anybody else, and, and, and we all should. Um, but it's it's moving so quickly. And I think because there's now 10,000 um, MarTech tools out there, not to mention sales tech and next tech and all those other things that are going on, which ones do you jump in with? There's a really interesting one that I wrote about for MarTech Alliance um, a while ago that got acquired by LinkedIn to improve their data. Now, it seems like current customers are still allowed to use that that tool, but they're not allowing anybody else to 
to buy it. So it's always that confidence thing. Will this company, it's great, but will this company still be around in a year or so? Um, I never had that concern with uh, Octopost. I always felt like that was a company that was going to go from strength to strength to strength. And that's why I've always been a huge fan. Um, and, you know, I've, I can't, I've lost count of the amount of times I've recommended Octopost over the years, not because of you, not because of uh, Daniel or uh, anybody else. <laughs> that's some transparency there. Yeah. You, you can tell it was because of us. <laughs> uh, so it certainly helps because the people at Octopost are wonderful, the ones that I have met. But because your tools solve particular pain points in a, in a particular way that, you know, the market at the time and still now are asking, asking for. And obviously, you know, your employee engagement tools are something I really want to get my hands into, give over uh, to, to the Zest team and say, right, okay, you've asked for it. Let's work on this together. Let's make it a success. Here's the data points. So I suppose I, my expectations keep me up at night. <laughs> Listen, um, you're not alone in that. And I think, you know, many of us doom scroll and I would agree with you, right? It's like, especially if anyone with, with kids, I know, you know, my little one will get up in the middle of the night and he goes back to sleep pretty easily. And then here I am doom scrolling, doing the same thing, like reading articles, trying to keep up with the industry, what new technology is out there. And, and you met, you mentioned an interesting one, right? With employee engagement and kind of, and even right. Starting a new role and, not getting emails in a half an hour. Like what is the culture, this hybrid culture? How does this all come together? So I'm curious to know, Adam, in your opinion, how do you feel an employee advocacy program can positively impact company culture? Yeah, I, I, you've probably heard all this before, but well, let's say it again. Uh, it, it's about belonging and making people feel like they feel valued, their voice feels valued, you know, especially internally. There'll be people who are, and I've met several uh, over the past few days, were about absolutely bowled over by the amount of experience that they've had. Do they necessarily want to be a an influencer on LinkedIn or Twitter or or elsewhere for the brand or otherwise? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. I've not necessarily had that question. Um, but giving them the opportunity to feel like they can, with confidence, uh, engage with the type of content, the type of messaging. Uh, that a company does not necessarily parrot fashion uh, either, adding their own spin, their own thoughts and opinions uh, on, on onto that content, but just greasing those wheels and giving, saying, hey, we're not expecting you to share every single post. We're not expecting you um, to think of your own things and add KPIs necessarily to how much you share. But here, you, you love this brand, you love working here, you love what we do. Um, here's some tools. Here's a way to actually share that externally and grow your um, grow your own your own brand. Essentially, yeah. I think there's a lot. There's still a lot of people who are obviously scared that if you invest in people and you make them into um, you know people who are active on social media, that you're more likely to lose them. And again, it's always that chicken and egg stuff, but. And, and what does loyalty mean these days? But the amount of um, value you get from that is infectious, infectious, even if you do lose people. People look at what's going on in an organisation. If people are actively sharing things 
willingly uh, about the business, about what they're doing, about the problems they're solving. There's some really good examples out there. Um, one of which is a, a fintech called Primer. Um, and if you haven't checked them out, do some of the things that they're, they're doing there with regards to employee engagement and also engagement um, and allowing their employees to share about their experiences on social media is absolutely on point. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I used to work with a couple of people there and they're doing really well. They're loving it. They're, they're having a great time, but they're working hard as well. Um, and they've, the brand ethos has allowed them to, to, to do that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, both impressed and jealous of, uh, <laughs> of what they're doing there. Um, but I, hopefully I can bring a small bit of that type of, you know, slightly less startup-y, um, but still have that energy and that vibe uh, to zest. Absolutely. And I love that you threw out the example primer. Is it P-R-I-M-E-R? On LinkedIn, I love when you when when our guests throw out examples because I think in general in social media, right? There's no playbook, and I, you know, as part of my doom scrolling, I'm always trying to check out what other brands, whether they're our competitors or not our competitors, are doing on social. So everybody, head over to Primer, take a look, uh, and get inspired. I want to jump to a moment because I do know that you are a man of technology, if you will, and you know MarTech quite well. And I think, you know, if I look back on all of our conversations, majority of them have actually been about integrations and, you know, (laughs) marketing automation platforms. So, you know, it can be a gamble, right? Putting together a a MarTech stack that all speaks together and no data is in a silo. Um, If you had no budgetary limitations uh, and could go ahead and build your MarTech stack that dreams are made out of what would your ideal martech stack look like it's a good question i mean money no object i don't like that i don't like that because then i think you just kind of start to get lots of things you perhaps don't need and you start to fill your bucket and yeah um I mean, maybe, maybe let me rephrase it. Let me rephrase it, right? Let's take it the opposite direction, right? I recently read a quote where it's like, when your resources are limited, you tend to pick the tools that count. So let's go ahead and say, if you could pick the tools that count because you had the most limited budget, what would those tools be? <laughs> I like it. I like it. Also a difficult question, but I mean, I'm a huge, back in the day, Back, at, back in my bundle days, FTSE 100, Marketo were the brands that were absolutely nailing it with regards to practicing what they preach, um, building a tribe, uh, just doing good things with regards to, to marketing automation and showing the impact that it can have. I still remember this um, presentation by the head of B2B marketing for Panasonic, and oh. it was the worst presentation I have ever seen. <laughs> Design wise, and he quite he, he framed it, and that's you know it it was it was kind of almost like a pratfall type kind of thing, where he kind of just owned it. He was like, normally I'd have somebody else uh, make the presentation for me, but I was in a rush, and the person was off sick or on holiday or something. So he's like, you're just having it. This is what you're getting. But it was a brilliant presentation. He didn't he didn't really need all that fluff. He just kind of nailed it down and, and sort of said, you know, we've got 10,000 products and da, 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 And this is what we're doing with Marketo and showed the data and everything. I was just like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, I just want to bottle that, show that to my director and say, we need it, you know? Yeah, and it was yeah. amazing. Absolutely amazing. So back then, Marketo, obviously sort of enterprise level tool. Um, but 
since I've worked for smaller companies, HubSpot jumps out. HubSpot jumps out every time because I just think they've done such a good job of giving you enough to do things and, and make a difference. Yeah. But also, they've really focused on these integrations as well and building out the app, yeah, their integrations, their app store and things and saying, hey, we know we're not right for everything. We know we'll only get necessarily get you so far and then you'll want other things. Um, and they're also best of breed at content for yeah. their academy for yeah. building a tribe for all those things. They just absolutely nailed it. So HubSpot, you know, would always be in my stack as a first consideration. And in fact, because I've got that bias, I've actually created a working group internally to make sure I don't say, let's just have this, uh, because that's not right. It's not about what I want. It's what the business needs. Um, Salesforce, I've always had an interesting relationship with and Pardot and various things. And it's a bit stuffy, um, to be honest, but it, it is super useful. So it's it's kind of sat there. Obviously, Octopost is, is in there because I, I value that. But I'm super interested in uh, Map. Do you know Map? I don't know Map. What about um, customer experience strategy? Okay. Strategies, sort of seeing how the stra- um, your customer experience is is improving, growing over time, uh, and they've got loads of tools in there. But UX presser and, and things like that as well. Building those customer journeys and personas is super useful to make sure that you're doing the right things in the right places at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, Apart from that, I'm a big fan of Webflow. In fact, I'm a big fan of anything that isn't WordPress these days. Um, though I do still use it myself personally um, in the enterprise uh, business and enterprise world. There's so many better tools. Um, so I'm a big fan of Webflow uh, in particular. Someone who's perhaps non-technical, who wants to do something different and create a, a, an impactful website for a relatively low cost. Webflow is super cool as well. Um, there's loads. There's loads. Um, Anything around the edges as well that allows, you know, uh, to create short form videos. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, Canva's got to be in there. You got to put Canva in there, right? Like, you're not, are you uh, even a marketer if you're not using Canva today? I know, right? I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and I love obviously what they do. I mean, you do end up with a uh, design salad. Um, because you just get distracted by all these designs and sometimes it's it's worse. It, it, it makes things worse rather than makes things better. The rabbit hole. That's what I yeah, call it. Yeah. The Canva rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom scrolling Canva yeah. design. <laughs> um, but I mean, my advice for Canva is go in clean, set up your brand, set up your font, set up everything up front and, and be quite strict with that. Um, but also, I still think you need the likes of uh, Adobe Creative Cloud. Yeah. Yes, it's five times more expensive than Canva, but it also allows you to do that 10, 15% that you can't do perhaps with Canva. Um, I've started doing sort of podcast stuff in auditions and things, um, which has been super useful. Yeah. But also, you know, in design, you know, making brochures, people do still like to, to download content. Yeah. Uh, from- timing pdfs so it allows you to do all those things and just add that extra bit of flourish perhaps that you you wouldn't normally uh be able to do in canva because yeah it has its limits and it kind of sits nicely within that 
but it has done a very good job of making itself more and more sticky, I have to say. Absolutely. Um, Listen, we even integrate. Octopus actually integrates today with kids. All yeah, right, dropping a bomb on the podcast. But I yeah. missed that one. <laughs> yeah, so that, I mean, that, that's how I think Canva really uh, shot through. I mean, social media managers, marketers, it was something that was requested for quite some time and, and it's in our media library now. But again, it, for exactly what we were talking about, right? The amount of uh, images and videos that is required to keep a feed interesting and diversified, right? So right inside of Octopost, you can open Canva and images go right onto social. So we'll definitely, we can get jump back, but I'm, I'm looking at the time and our podcast, you know, we're about you know, 30 minutes. So I want to keep true to the podcast tradition and I can't let you go without asking my favorite question. So I had to save time for the last one. Um, so Adam, what is something you can tell us about yourself? that we cannot find on LinkedIn? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not even sure if it's on there, but it feels so long ago. It kind of fits, it falls outside of my 15-year experience. So I'm going to go with that. And it's stuck in my mind as well because uh, everyone has in the UK has a, a story about the Queen. where they. Gosh, and it was them. recently the Jubilee, so here we go. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> keeping it topical. Um, so back in my university days, I was... Uh, the only person doing marketing at university who was writing for the student newspaper. I was an oddity. No one could work out why anyone in marketing would want to write content. <laughs> it was that, that's how long ago it was. Uh, I've still got my marketing book down, down there. Actually, I can see it in the corner of my eye. Um, and it's got a para, It's got a chapter on digital, I think. Um, could be big one day sort of thing. But it, it, yeah. Um, so I ended up being the newspaper editor for two years, uh, interviewed the likes of Patrick Stewart, who was our vice chancellor, oh, Kings wow. of Leon, Chesney Hawks. You might not know Chesney Hawks, but he was the one. Yeah. In the, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a story in its own right. But um, lots of bands, lots of, um, lots of famous people. And I used to hustle a lot i used to sort of you know pick up the phone and say hey can i do this can i do that and it was actually after a heavy night of partying i went in to to finish the newspaper and i found out just by chance that the queen was coming to visit and i was like well i've got to change the front page but what's the details like we can't tell you we can't tell you it's it's coming you'll have to put it in next month and i was like no no so i Drunkenly rang Buckingham Palace. No! <laughs> yeah, got through to the PR department. They got me to sign an NDA and we got a <laughs> local newspaper who was owned, that which was owned by the Mirror to also sign an NDA because they did the advertising, the printing. Um, and I wrote this, this full piece. I was looking for it uh, the other day. I haven't been able to find a copy actually. So I believe it ha- actually happened. Um, I did this full two page kind of, you know, front page spread about the queen coming and uh and 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 yeah that was my that was my uh my kind of like queen moment where i was broke this this story are you saying that if i want to have the queen on radically transparent that you would be the contact that i can have give buckingham palace a call (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 if anything, I'm probably black, blacklisted now. It's like, who was that weird drunk guy? We just gave him an NDA to shut him up. But uh, but no, I, I, I broke that story in um, a, a, their visit to uh, to sunny Yorkshire um, to, to our university and things. But uh, but yeah, so that's my my little one. But I was super excited and super interested in content all those years ago, sort of 20 years ago. Uh, and I saw the power of story and the power of content with regards to marketing all that time. And I just wanted to get good at writing stuff uh, well. Um, and I think I'm about there, you know, after oh. 20 years. <laughs> Adam, it's been an absolute blast. Uh, you know, thank you for getting radically transparent. I can definitely speak on behalf of myself and Octopus. We love uh, all, all of the interesting campaigns and, and organizations and, and students that you've been mentoring. We love watching you grow. So thank you for stopping by the Radically Transparent podcast. If anybody wants to continue the conversation, uh, where is the best place to connect? LinkedIn. All right, Always Adam Clark on LinkedIn. So go ahead, give him a shout. Adam, thanks for stopping by today. And now uh, we can't wait to have you back. Thanks, Jen. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.